Was last night's State of the Nation the last for President Cyril Ramaphosa? As the sun sets on the sixth administration, remember, there will be another State of the Nation later this year after the election. But here's a question. Who will give it? It's no foregone conclusion, suggest recent polls, that it will be this president. Standard Bank has joined a group of blue chip companies, including other banks, who now forecast a drop below 50% for the ANC for the first time since 1994. And depending on the tightness of the margins, the ANC may yet cobble together a formal coalition if the opposition do not gain too much of its electoral pie. So that may see Ramaphosa return. But for how long before a dreaded recall? We're going to look back on the State of the Nation address last night and what it means for the country and also, I suspect, what happens next in our economy and our politics. Uh, Gulam Balim is the Chief Economist at Standard Bank and he joins us now on the line. As always, I appreciate your time. Thank you for talking to us. Good morning, Bongani. Let's start with last night. I mean, the president tried to sound positive, but in the context of power cuts, the logistics nightmare, ongoing corruption and crime, unemployment, poverty, inequality, uh, what's happening at local government, any number of metrics, there's not a whole lot to be excited about, is there? You've described it well, Bongani. I would imagine that an incumbent president government is going to flatter society's socio-economic conditions. And of course, the opposition parties will be far more acerbic in their judgment. There's usually a gap between the lived reality and politician statements. And I think many people will judge the gap um, premised on the statement last night as being too wide. The president rendered a perspective on South African society that I think would be not entirely relatable to many. I mean, even when he did make some acknowledgments, like state capture, for example, um, I tweeted yesterday that if you thought state capture was something that happened under the National Party, you wouldn't be mad. It was as if he wasn't there, and certainly that it wasn't his party that was in charge. The statement was peppered with anecdotes, and I think when you rely on your speechwriters include an abundance of anecdotes, you attempting to veer away from the data. You already in your show this morning have highlighted numerous instances where the data, whether it is, for example, the functioning and effectiveness of state-owned entities, socioeconomic data such as the labor market and labor participation, then also the functioning of the judiciary and the effectiveness of the NPA. Yes, one can argue there is a growing list of individuals being charged, but the evidence of successful prosecution and incarceration is very sparse. So effectively, we find ourselves in a situation where the president, Ramaphosa, arrived with much fanfare in terms of the potential to reform South Africa's institutional foundations and the macroeconomic landscape. I concede that in terms of institutional reform, there has, some, there has been some progress at the headline level in terms of leadership changes. But overarchingly, South Africa still is suffering from a butchered institutional fabric following the Zuma era. And in terms of macroeconomic reforms, we've seen progress over the last three or four quarters, but mainly because of private sector participation. So, for example, in electricity, and now there's some momentum in Transnet. However, where you can't crowd the private sector in, for example, in crime, 
and in local government efficacy. It just shows that the government is deeply incapacitated. And these are the heartbeat issues that South Africa has to contend with rather than a a rather glowing review of the last 30 years of performance, which is a very convenient Mm. arc to look through and judge South Africa. I mean, what keeps you up at night? Manufacturing output, we're told, is down. Uh, The budget deficit is up higher than previous estimates. Low-income groups are battling to keep up with crippling inflation. What worries you most about the state of the nation? The rule of law or put differently, aggregate governance. Bongani, economies grow, we taught, because of financial capital, physical capital, and innovation. But preceding that, no economy has been able to grow successfully, sustainably, without sound institutional foundations. I'll be a little bit more precise and say up to 75% of the reason any economy thrives persistently is because it is founded on the rule of law or more extendedly, a sound bedrock of governance. South Africa's governance structures have been brutally undermined. There has been some progress and one can celebrate SARS as being an example of great rehabilitation, but it is more exceptional than the, the general case. And until we repair the foundation stones of the rule of law, of accountability, of general sense of governance, then we will really be in a perpetual state of attempting to stabilize the country rather than grow. Are you saying that in some senses we have become, if not uh, one, like a mafia state? I would describe our country as a fragile state, not yet a failed state. Not yet in the sense that we still have some pillars of our institutional fabric, the the judiciary generally, for example, does hold fair muster, but the state is is certainly fragile. And we could also, for example, celebrate uh, public finances or at least a finance minister who has a good grasp of attempting to create sustainable uh, public finances. But broadly speaking, we're a fragile state in stabilization mode, but I would argue that uh, the ANC under President Ramaphosa has lacked the executive urgency that the situation calls for. I mean, you talk about rule of law, you talk about the fragility of the state. Um, One would argue that the failures, particularly when it comes to our law enforcement agencies, uh, the, the, the entrenchment now, it would seem, of criminal syndicates uh, and the fact that many seem to operate with impunity. And I can point to any number of examples, including things like the construction mafia. All of those things are the things that scare investors, aren't they? Mungani, you've put your finger on perhaps one of the most precarious areas of South African life. And if you look at it through the three work streams that the president has forged in um, consultation and partnership with the private sector, we know it's power, it's transnet, or at least transportation, logistics, and it is crime. And it is the area of crime where the government has been weakest and is the area of crime where the work streams have shown little progress because of the depth of organized infiltration and effectively the culpability of the security services in terms of 
individuals in that uh, state. Um, you're really participating with criminal entities. So you're correct, and then you could extend it further to local government and where there many citizens in the ordinary way of life will say that it's become a toll booth. You go to pay supplementary fees to be able to access what should be in the ordinary course of getting a driver's license, for instance. So that is where the president and the overarching superstructure of government is not functioning, and the authorities have not stared down this onslaught. All of these, of course, may be the reasons voters may pull away from the ANC. The ANC has been losing support for a length of time. And it's no more obvious more recently with regard to metros. Now, this election is significant in the sense that at a national level, most of us are preoccupied with talking about whether the ANC will fall below 50%, and that's plausible and mildly probable. But I think the real pain is going to be at a provincial level. I think the ANC faces the risk of notable decline in at least four provinces, Gauteng, KwaZulu-Natal, the Free State, and the Northern Cape. And it's significant to the extent that if we just look at Gauteng and KwaZulu-Natal, these are places where the ANC could fall below 40% for that matter. These two provinces combined account for 49% of GDP. They house 43% of South African society. And let's just say the ANC has to form, the ANC garners 40% and is still maybe able to cobble together a co-governing structure with other parties. But effectively, the ANC would have lost singular grip of Gauteng, KwaZulu-Natal and the Western Cape, which of course is under, for the moment, the DA's command. And all of that amounts to almost two-thirds. Those three provinces account for two-thirds of our GDP and almost half of South African society. So the ANC has been, I say, in free fall. And the forthcoming election is the ANC's to lose. The other significance, of course, is that even if uh, they were to cobble together a coalition or even if they were to manage to scrape through above 50%, if some of the scenarios you've outlined do come true, what we've seen from the governing party before is that they tend to blame the presidents they no longer find useful when things go wrong. So how long does Cyril Ramaphosa stay in power is a question. And how would the markets feel about the presumed next in line, there's ongoing reportage of Paul Mashadile's lavish lifestyle, proximity to dodgy benefactors. Does that bring much comfort? Bongani, just so as not to be alarmist, let me perhaps present it this way. So we would say something like there is a 65% probability at a national level that the ANC garners between 45 and 50%. And in this instance, we would say the likelihood of President Ramaphosa continuing into a second term and the reform agenda remaining in place, more or less as we've become to know it over the last year. So in other words, there will be continuity, and that may be the most benign outcome from a foreign investor, even local investor point of view. We ascribe a 10% probability of the ANC garnering better than 50%, call it 51, 52, and again there, President Ramaphosa retains tenure to the extent that a second term is in the offing and the reform process continues. So those two scenarios 
you know, combined um, would deliver would deliver um, the you know continuity as we know it. However, we would also suggest that be, we one is open-minded to the idea that the ANC falls below, say, 40% or near 40%. And you're correct in suggesting that at that level, the ANC is going to require a coalition partner. The president will be vulnerable in the sense that those adversaries within the party may very well round on him for delivering ANC failure. One could foreseeably anticipate that the Palapala matter, for example, will be resurrected in Parliament, perhaps uh, through a, an impeachment call or an ad hoc committee. And recall, you know, if the ANC were to garner less, just say 40%, you know, it lacks the sway in Parliament to be able to forestall any sort of inquiry. Recall, it was only 20 years ago when the ANC in the national elections garnered. 69.7%, a fraction under 70%, and really having the capacity, for example, to change the constitution at will. So clearly there's been mass decay and, and vulnerability. And as you suggested, the history of recall is um, thick in the ANC's recent practices. Gosh, for the first time in 30 years, there's a possibility, perhaps still remote, that the person who gave last night's Sona might not be the one who gives the next one after the election. Gulam Balim, I appreciate your time. The Chief Economist at Standard Bank.